Well, grace and peace to you through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a very familiar greeting uh, in uh, the Christian religion, uh, one that Paul used a lot, grace and peace to you. And I mentioned at the start of our Advent series that I really want to get back to basics, Uh, things like the incarnation, God with us, and all that that means for us. And today I want to look at one of the aspects of God coming into his creation um, as a newborn child in Bethlehem, and that is peace. Uh, Not that childbirth is peaceful, but that the child born in Bethlehem has brought peace. With peace there is the peace between us and God, and the peace we can have with each other, and peace between us and the world around us. And also a more glorious understanding of peace that will, be, will come at the end uh, of this sermon. Now, we talk about peace a lot, particularly this year with the war in Ukraine and the tensions with China. Uh, we regularly pray for peace around the world and we long for peaceful Christmases. But we may be so used to human views of peace that we miss the divine versions of peace. Peace with God and the peace that transcends our understanding. Uh, We often speak of peace as an absence of open conflict. Peace can mean that a a thin veneer of good behaviour conceals underlying and unresolved tensions. Uh, Or a peaceful Christmas can mean that nothing much happened. I just chilled out. What would peace in in and around Israel look like today? For some, it would involve Israel returning to the boundaries that were set by the United Nations in 1947. Israel withdrawing from the Golan Heights and its settlements on the West Bank and all sides respecting those boundaries. For many Jews, that's unthinkable. Not their idea of peace at all. Uh, And at the very least, there would need to be trade-offs between the bits of Israel that are overwhelmingly Palestinian, like Nazareth, and the illegal settlements on the West Bank of the Jordan legally becoming part of Israel. So peace involves a really, really difficult bit of bargaining. For some Americans, peace would mean pulling down the mosque that uh, sits on Temple Mount in Jerusalem and rebuilding the Temple of Solomon and the total defeat of Islam. For others, peace over Israel would involve the total destruction of Israel and a return to the borders that existed before the First World War. And and don't worry if you're not familiar with the complexity of Middle East politics. My point is that peace means different things to different people, and rarely do they coincide with what God means by peace. Peace is a big theme in the Bible. It gets mentioned over 140 times in the Old Testament and 91 times in the New Testament. The word used for um, peace in the Old Testament is shalom. In Hebrew, it can be used as a greeting, as an hello or goodbye. A bit like g'day sometimes means for us. Shalom has 
a wonderful range of meanings. It includes peace, harmony, wholeness, completeness, prosperity, good health, welfare and tranquility. It's really a, a wonderful word. And that's what I meant when I started by saying grace and peace to you. When we greet each other with God's peace each week, we are praying for peace, harmony, wholeness, good health, completeness, prosperity, welfare and tranquility for the person we greet. And that's why it's so important to what we do together. In our reading of Psalm 128, we see the breadth of the meaning of shalom. Uh, The psalm ends with the words, peace be on Israel, and this peace is described in the verses that precede it. Blessed are all those who fear the Lord and walk in obedience to him. You will eat the fruit of your labour. Blessing and prosperity be Uh, will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Uh, That's much more than an absence of conflict. And that's the peace that God talks about and it's the peace that God wants for us. The Greek word in the New Testament which we translate as peace is irene, from which we get the English word Ironic. Like shalom, it includes harmony, completeness, and well-being. Peace is our natural or God-given state. Uh, we see in the Garden of Eden, in the first two chapters in the Bible, that the first humans were at peace with God and his creation and with each other and were surrounded by plenty. That peace was disrupted by their rejection of God and since then God has been seeking to restore that peace. He did that first through revealing himself to people like Noah and Abraham and the promises he made to them and then through Moses and the law. A part of the role of the law was to help the people of Israel know how to be obedient to their God so there could be peace. But there were also a number of references to peace offerings that God's people were to make to God. They involved costly sacrifice, but they would bring them into relationship, a relationship of love and trust and care, totally consistent with the idea of peace. In the New Testament, there is a renewed focus on the peace of God, and it is God, again, it is God who takes the initiative. He does that first by coming to live among us. Uh, That is what we're preparing ourselves to celebrate this week. Not only the peace that came when Jesus first came into this world, but the peace that will come when he returns. For Advent is as much about looking forward to his return as it was looking back to his first appearance. In reconciliation and and restoration and harmony are to be achieved, they must be achieved through understanding. God came to us in Jesus so we can understand his character and his love and his promises better. And we see that in the teaching and miracles of Jesus. In Jesus we can see how God lives as a human and therefore how we can live as humans at peace. As I said, peace involves understanding and 
In Jesus, we see that God understands what it's like to be human. And he understands the challenges that we face and says that peace is not beyond any of us if we follow him. In Jesus, we see better than anywhere else in the Bible that God loves us. Because for peace to be achieved between God and humankind, God provides the costly sacrifice. Peace is possible because of Jesus' death for us on the cross. We see this beautifully uh, in 1 John. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Uh, We can live with harmony, peace and the blessing of God because Jesus made an atoning sacrifice for us. I told you I was going to get back to basics. Atonement means at one meant. Because of Jesus, we can be at one with God. We can be on the same page, in the same team, in the same family, with all the rights and privileges of a child of God because of Jesus. Um, Is there any surprise then that the great Old Old Testament prophet Isaiah called Jesus the Prince of Peace? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Son of God who brings peace to earth. When a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years touched Jesus' cloak because she trusted him, and believed that good flowed from him, Jesus said, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. She received the shalom that comes from God, physical, emotional, spiritual and relational restoration. She could be with her family and her friends. She could go to temple because of the peace that Jesus had brought her. The message of peace was fundamental to Jesus. We read in John's account of the resurrection of Jesus that the first words he said to his disciples when he arose was, peace be with you. Not, let's get even with the Romans, or why did you desert me? But, hey guys, I'm back. And because of whom I am and what I've done, You can have peace. We can be at peace. And the disciples got this. We read in the book of Acts that a crucial part of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that they taught was peace. In Acts 10.36, the Apostle Paul said, You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And the Apostle Paul started many of his letters with this greeting, grace and peace. In Romans 12, 18, Paul wrote, if it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. And when we know who God is and what he's done for us and trust him, we can relax 
and live at peace with him and, and each other. We don't have to prove anything to him. We know we're loved. We don't have to go about thinking, oh, you know, I know God's looking over the shoulder. What should I be doing? What should I be doing? No. When we know who God is, we can relax and just enjoy him and, and seek to please him in what we do. But as I said at the beginning, there is another dimension to peace that goes beyond an absence of conflict and restored relations. And we see this in our second reading. Uh, there are some hints, and then, just, then John just sort of blows it apart. And you're left wondering, how, how, how does all this work? Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. And that makes sense. Happy people are likely to be more peaceful than angry people. Verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Hmm? Uh, gentleness certainly fits with peace. The Lord is near, so he's here to help us. Verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Isn't that lovely? It taps into the promises of God and that broad sense of peace that I was talking about. Shalom, plenty, harmony, well-being. But then there's verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Where did that come from? And how can something that we don't possibly understand help us? How can we tap into that? The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, I think to understand this, we're going to have to ask two questions. First, uh, what is the peace of God in this context? And and then how can this peace guard our hearts and minds in Jesus Christ? And as you'd expect, there are differing views on what it means and how it works. There's differing views on practically everything in the New Testament. One view is that the peace of God here is the peace we have with God in our relationship with him. Through faith we are justified and declared right by God uh, and declared by God to be right with him. It involves repentance on our part and a desire to be reconciled to him uh, and forgiveness on God's part. In Romans 5.1 we read, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that's declared right with God, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he does that by faith alone. Since we have been justified by faith, not works, not tradition, not by baptism, not by church membership, not by parentage, not by piety, but by faith alone. When we believe in Jesus as the Saviour and the Lord and the supreme treasurer of our lives, we are united to him in his righteousness. And his righteousness is counted by God as ours. He sees his son as right with him. And he sees us as right with him. 
And in this way, we are justified or made righteous by faith. We could call this a relationship of peace. And it is amazing. Without it, there would be no hope of joy. But I can't quite see how that type of peace will guard our hearts and minds in Christ. I guess I could go with it's the, it's the vibe approach and say that once we are in that relationship with God, God will protect us by his Holy Spirit from anything that would pull us away from Jesus. And that is true. We may wonder why God loves us so much, but, but he does. But I actually think that the peace of God here means something more and even better than that. It includes the restored relationship, but there is something else happening here that really does the hard work. I think the peace of God here means the shalom that surrounds and flows out of God. It's that that transcends or goes beyond our understanding. It's just so good and wonderful. We can't get our heads around how wonderful it will be to be in the presence of God. We will be we're speechless. All, all the promises that we've ever heard and all the hopes that we've ever had will be realised when we're in the presence of God. And, and it won't stop. To be in what we call heaven, whether it's where Jesus is now or when Jesus brings heaven to earth at the end of this age, it'll just be something way, way, way beyond our understanding. And I think the view that this view fits with the very centre of my understanding of God. Uh, I try not to overdo it when I, I speak with you because it's so special to me that I don't want you to get bored with it and when I mention it you sort of think, oh no, here he goes again. <laughs> but for me, the things that really transcend my understanding <coughs> that are way beyond my comprehension, now though I see them in outline and only dimly, is the world that Jesus imagines for us. The world we enter when we trust and follow him and the world that will be fully realised when he returns. In John's Gospel we see how Jesus transformed the life of the Samaritan woman at the well uh, the man who had been lame for nearly 40 years, the man who had been born blind and the woman caught in adultery. Jesus imagined a better world for each of them that involved far more than forgiveness, healing or protection. There was the opportunity to experience the joy of being fully human, physically, emotionally, relationally, and not just here on earth, but in heaven as well. There's nothing in our future that is beyond his care and beyond him lifting it and make, making it so much brighter and lighter and more glorious than we can imagine. There will be no boredom, no meaningless repetition, no forms to fill in or boxes to tick, 
Each moment will be a delight. And that's a peace that transcends our understanding. And it's a peace that God brings. And this taps in with what we might call the infinite goodness of God or the glory of God. We can't touch it or capture it with words. We may approach it sometimes in music. These windows into the infinite beauty of God make my heart long to be with Jesus. And that keeps me going. It's that harmony, completeness, well-being and hope that protects my heart and mind. The peace of God, the shalom of God, the infinite beauty of God that takes hold of me and makes me ready to accept him for who he is. And it is the dawn of that peace that we celebrate each Christmas. And this fits so well with the second part of our second reading. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think such a a narrow word. Hold on to them, delight in them, let them fill you up. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. And there's nothing better than that. I end where I started by wishing you grace and peace. But I hope now you have a much fuller understanding of what I mean when I say peace. May in God's grace you sense and believe in and hear and taste the infinite beauty of God and know you are part of it. Amen.